Welcome to Radio KBPV, Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, a podcast about the history of southwestern Alberta, presented by Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village of Pincher Creek, a museum complex that documents the stories of Western Canada's agricultural settlement through the preservation of local buildings and artifacts among a six-acre park. Pincher Creek is a town of 3,700 souls in a vast rural trading area of some 3,000 rural dwellers. A vibrant region of rolling prairie, foothills, the Rocky Mountains, the Pecani First Nation, Waterton Lakes National Park, the Crow's Nest Pass, and the Upper River Watershed of the South Saskatchewan River Basin. Join us in this podcast where we present walking tours of our buildings and hear the stories of the farmers, townsmen, cowboys, mounties, pioneer women, politicians, chroniclers, miners, railroaders, and so many other significant histories of this particular corner of Canada. Hello and welcome back to Radio KBPV, the podcast of the Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village and the Pincher Creek and District Historical Society in Pincher Creek, Alberta. This is another in the series of our Talking Tombstone series for 2022. Yes, you heard that right. We're a little late in getting these posted, uh, but we're here now and that's the most important thing. Um, this uh, tour it took place in August of 2022 and uh, was led, uh, curated, and mostly written up by Farley Wuth, the curator for the Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, and read by a number of guest readers uh, assisting Farley as well. Uh, this took care a place at, uh, as we said, the Pioneer Cemetery in Pincher Creek, uh, which is the town's oldest cemetery. Uh, no longer in uh, popular usage, uh, but we have done uh, podcasts at Fairview Cemetery as well and at several other cemeteries across southwestern Alberta, ranging from Fort McLeod to Waterton to a number of uh, country cemeteries out in the various areas. And we've been doing this uh, program for about 10 years. So before I turn it back to Farley, I'd just like to inform you of the upcoming Talking Tombstones, which is in August, Saturday, August the 26th. So lots of time to plan. It will actually be taking place at Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village itself, uh, which you may not know, uh, has a few cemetery tombstones, but in actuality, the theme that we're going to be doing at the village is a tour of the village as you've never had it before uh, from the point of view of pioneers who have moved on from Pincher Creek, or shall we say their remains moved on. They no longer rest in southwest Alberta or the Pincher Creek area as uh, as they passed on. They, are, they have been buried or are elsewhere around the world. So we're going to take a look at their careers, their importance to Pincher Creek, and where they moved on to. So that'll be a little bit different uh, part of a tour. It'll be taking place on familiar ground, and this year will include a supper. Um, the reason I'm telling you about this so early here, we're in March of 2023 as I'm writing these intros, almost April actually. Um, we 
would like to not naturally invite you to come out to this. Uh, the tickets will be available uh, through Eventbrite or at the uh, at the gate or at the door at the Pioneer Place in uh, Kootenay Brown Village. And this is also our invitation uh, if you would like to be a volunteer reader. The, despite the content, it actually is a lot of fun, and we do find that uh, the more people we have doing readings, uh, it just comes across as a better evening and uh, is a lot more interactive and such. So, uh, without with that and without further ado, I will turn it back over to Farley and our Talking Tombstones uh, 2022 from Pioneer Cemetery in Pincher Creek. Well, today we're going to learn about a frontiers woman named Margaret Willock, born 1843, died 1915, from a, the uh, area immediately west of Pincher Creek. And our reading today is going to be by Susan Knight, a retired librarian, new to Pincher Creek, and a volunteer at Kootenay Brown. You know what? That's not just doing it justice. This is not a reading. This is going to be a performance. So enjoy, folks, as Susan tells you about Margaret Willock. Complete with baby doll and axe. We usually don't have props on these readings. What, you haven't scoped this out, Susan? <laughs> this is Margaret Willock and her husband, Francis. And Susan has brought an exhibit. Yeah. Susan's one of our new recruits at the museum. We, uh, she's been volunteering here for about a year. And she helps out with the cataloging and all sorts of other events. And uh, she's really getting into this historical <laughs> reenactment. I, I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> he asked we, me last week and we, said, just fill your boots. We seem to have a Bruce Springsteen teddy bear and a dangerous axe. Near Bruce. <laughs> so Susan's going to read about Margaret Willis, who's one of our early pioneer ladies from out west of town. The Francis Willock family by Millicent C. Cox. In her written biography, Millicent Cox closes with the following. This story is an effort of some of the granddaughters to portray the life of this pioneer family who made a lasting contribution to the opening of the early West. It is not possible to relate all the good times or the bad, but they did have their share as everyone does from time to time. By present day standards, life was hard. However, no one thought of it as being hard work as it was simply the way of life then. It was a life with a sense of personal responsibility and integrity and a satisfaction in just meeting the challenge. Good evening. My name is Susan Knight, and I have the privilege this evening to share with you a bit about the lives of a couple, Francis and Margaret Humphrey Willock. When I read the legacy statement, I thought to myself, how did that leg legacy begin, grow, and thrive? Who were Francis and Margaret, and how did they earn such a legacy? First off, information is quite limited on their early lives together and we simply have dates of their births and their marriage, but no other details. 
I shall share the dates and move quickly over their early life. Frances Willock was born in 1836 in Lindsay, Ontario. Margaret Humphrey Willock was born in 1843 in Montrose, Scotland. Margaret came to Canada in 1854. They were married in 1865. If you do the math, Frances would have been 29 and Margaret 22. There isn't any information on how they met or where they were married or lived, but I assume it was in Ontario, probably near Lindsay, Ontario, where Frances was born. In 1872, the family now with four children moved to Springfield, Manitoba, which is near Winnipeg, and they lived there till 1881. During their nine years in Manitoba, they sadly lost two other children to scarlet fever, and they also had three more children. So by my math, they now have five children. It was a locust plague that drove them onwards again. Francis had heard of clear running water, Chinooks, and a mild winter at Pincher Creek. So he and his eldest son, Leslie, who I estimate was probably about 16, came west. Francis took out squatter's rights and later homesteaded the northwest corner quarter of Section 13, Township 6, Range 30, west of the 4th Meridian. I want to thank two of the ladies at Whispering Winds who in, um, explained this to me because it just was 16-6-30 W4. I had no idea. I mean, W4 could have been the stuff that makes uh, locks easier. So it, their, their uh, farm was northwest quarter of Section 16, Township 6, Range Road 30, west of the 4th Meridian. You work 20 yards from a surveying exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> and they thereby established, you have me at the computer all the time. Okay. <laughs> For a walk <laughs> Established now. the Poplars two miles west of town along the creek. Having accomplished this, he went back, sold his farm in Manitoba, and brought out the family in 1883. The journey west was by rail to Swift Current and from there in covered wagons and six Red River carts pulled by oxen carrying all their worldly belongings including livestock and a cow was tethered for, to the wagon for milk, chicken were in coops and a herd of cattle and horses were driven by herd riders. Son Leslie was one of the riders. They even shot a buffalo along the way. On the arrival the family lived in a tent but spent the winter in a well-built log cabin with a sod roof, which was later used to house the hens. Francis and Leslie cut and hauled white pine logs, and by the following year, a comfortable two-story house was built. And it's at this point that we can certainly see the legacy starting to grow. As in less than a year from the time they left Manitoba, they had had this arduous journey, arrived and lived in a tent, all the while building the first log cabin to survive the winter in, and by the following summer, they were in what was told as a comfortable two-story house. That all done without Home Depots or Costco's. By all accounts, Francis and Margaret, Mar Margaret were a formidable pair. I don't think there was a challenge that they faced that they couldn't conquer together. I'm going to stop now with the chronological aspect of their lives and simply share some of their accomplishments. Francis had to have been the type of man who simply knew how to do all the 101,000 things that are needed on a farm ranch. 
He brought a head of wheat from his brother's farm in Ontario. He planted it in the garden and the mice ate a few heads the first year. The next year, a barrel was placed around it and banked up for protection. He sowed it and very soon from the increase in the crop, he was able to sell seed to other settlers. The first wheat Francis grew was Dawson Golden Chafe, which yielded approximately 60 bushels to the acre. Later, when the railway came and millers wanted hard wheat, Francis changed to growing Kansas Red, now known as Alberta Red Winter Wheat. And in 1893, at the International Exhibition held in Chicago, one of our Pincher Creek settlers, A.M. Morden, won a medal and a certificate for wheat and other grains growing here in Pincher Creek. The farm ranch continued to grow, and in addition to wheat, they grew oats and barley, timothy and brome grass hay. The farm expect, expanded, and a half section north of the road was purchased. Cattle and a large herd of Clydesdale horses were raised. A tool house, a workshop, and sheds for vehicles and implements were built to protect them from the weather. Even a blacksmith shop was built, and other settlers came to have work done. Eventually, the purchase of a threshing machine was completed, and now, instead of needing six threshing teams, there was a stationary engine operating the sep separator. So even then, jobs were lost to new technology. <laughs> now, you might think that running the farm ranch would be enough, but community efforts were equally supported. Francis helped organize the first school in Pincher Creek in 1884, and he was chairman of the board for many years. The first Protestant services were held at the Poplars, conducted by an early missionary, the Reverend James Robertson. Later, the services were held in the log schoolhouse and then in church, in, in the church when it was built in town. Francis served as an elder for many years. In 1909, at age 73, he served on the board of directors when the United Farmers of Alberta was organized. But hey, what about Margaret? Margaret was an equal force to that of her husband, Francis. Now, I grew up in Toronto, so truly, I am a city kid. However, my mom's family is from Gladstone, Manitoba, and where my Auntie Grace and Uncle Ed had their farm. And when I was 16, I spent a summer on the farm, and that's where I witnessed hard work in action. My Auntie Grace was the first up and the last to bed each and every day. And I have to believe that Margaret probably worked even harder than my Auntie Grace. First, I know food is what keeps the farm going. So you have all the meals to prepare. Breakfast, morning coffee and cake, dinner at noon complete with a roast or a ham, with dessert, pies, homemade bread. Afternoon lunch, you have to go out to the field and take the fellas their, their food and supper at the end of the day. In addition, there's the laundry, house cleaning, farm chores, gathering the eggs, milking the cow, going to town for whatever it is Francis now needs, and raising the children, etc., etc. Margaret established great gardens, one which grew so much rhubarb that it was regularly taken to Lethbridge for sale. A fruit garden was developed where gooseberry, red, white, and black currant bushes yielded abundant fruit. There were also wild strawberries and Saskatoons to be gathered. And then all of this fruit had to be made into jams and jellies as canning sealers had yet to be developed. The preserves were stored in earthenware crocks. I made jam once and holy doodle jam making. I had an electric stove, 
a dishwasher for sterilizing and all the modern canning tools. And let me tell you, I have bought my jam ever since. In the fall, there was a harvest of wild fowl. Many winters, there were as many as 30 wild geese frozen hanging in the shed or in the barrel of brine. Besides all of this, they provided their own potato yeast, butter, cheese, and soap. A food storage building of cement with walls two feet thick was constructed near the house so that food could be kept cool. A large, well-built root cellar was dug out to keep the garden vegetables fresh. The children even found a lump of coal one day, and that led to the discovery of a coal vein, which was never produced commercially, but did keep the family warm during the winter. And now the mightiest story about Margaret, to my way of thinking, when she protected her family and the life, livestock. You should probably step back. There was a great noise out in the barnyard. The children were squealing, the animals were screaming. There were so many distressing shrieks and Margaret was alone except for the children. And out she went to investigate. And in the barnyard, there was a great bear carrying off one of the pigs. And she grabbed the first thing that came to mind and it was an ax. And she went on the offensive. She took on the bear and the bear lost. Margaret saved herself her children, and the pig. A mighty, fierce woman to be served. <laughs> Margaret also gave her best in helping those in need. As there weren't any doctors, she became the local midwife. She had a team and buggy and would drive as far as 20 miles to an expectant mother's home and would often be there for up to a week helping mom and the new baby. In times of sickness, including outbreaks of diphtheria and scarlet fever, she was in the neighboring homes nursing. But please don't think that it was all work and no play at the home of Francis and Margaret, because that comfortable two-story house did become a home. A home filled with faith, a home filled with laughter and love, a home filled with music and song. One of the daughters played the organ, and both Francis and Leslie played the violin. Their home extended a warm welcome to their many friends, and especially a home filled with a kitchen at its heart. I am sure many sumptuous meals were well prepared and lovingly served. Francis died in 1914 at the age of 78, and Margaret died the following year in 1915 at the age of 72. And I think we will all have to agree with their granddaughter, Millicent. Francis and Margaret lived a life full of personal responsibility and direct action, both at home and within their community. Francis and Margaret lived their lives with great integrity and commitment to each other, to their family, and to their community. Francis and Margaret, together, they faced many challenges and built a generous and good life. They truly built a lasting pioneer legacy. Thank you. Susan Knight, everyone. She's here all week. Try the chicken. <laughs> that was fantastic. Wow. Well, he handed me a bio and said, well, you, have to, you don't have to read it. You can do something with it. So that's what I did. You certainly did. I, I work with Susan as a volunteer. She does nothing by half measures. She helps us with the cataloging and helps out with different events and things like that. So. At every event. At every event, yes. Susan, were you a teacher? I beg your pardon? Were you a teacher? No, I'm a librarian. 45 wow. years. <laughs> Lots of storytelling. <laughs>
So thank you, Susan. Thank you for listening to Tales of Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village. This episode was researched and written by historians Farley Wood and Gord Tolton. This podcast is recorded and engineered by Gord Tolton. Episodes can be found at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or any other podcatcher. Visit our website at www.kootenaybrown.ca. Kootenai is spelled K O O. T-E-N-A-I Also, visit and join our pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more information on our museum, or even better, visit us at 1037 Beverly McLaughlin Drive in beautiful Pincher Creek, Alberta.